Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome. 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 Hey everybody, welcome back to the Anthony and Todd Show. I'm your host, Trevor. And I'm Vincent. We got uh, quite a few albums to go over today, and by quite a few, I mean three. We're back up to the maximum number that we can talk about on one show. Three highly anticipated albums. First up, we got the latest from Black Country New Road, Ants from Up There. We've been calling it Steve Urkel's Pants Are Up Here. I don't know if that will land, but I really hope it does. So Trevor just sent me a text message out of the blue like a couple weeks ago, and he didn't, like, we weren't talking about Black Country or New Road or anything beforehand, just like randomly out of the blue. Steve Urkel released a new album, Pants Are Up Here, and I had to Google search Steve Urkel because I thought he was being serious because I did not get the connection of the joke. Steve Urkel is not the name of the person. His I know, but it's character. like it's like maybe uh, whatever Sonic the Hedgehog. Julia dude, White, come yeah, on. is in character. Character out. <laughs> I I hope you guys enjoy that joke. Uh, next, we got the latest from Animal Collective, Time Skiffs, and then finally the latest record from Saba, Few Good Things. Speaking about Animal Collective, during writing the notes, I so many times almost wrote Animal Crossing. It's unfunny. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, I would just write out Animal, and then I would get to CR. I'm like, oh, shit. Crossing. Because <laughs> I think of it as AC, and, like, it's Animal Crossing. Time Scoots. Oh, I like that title. Thank I you. I like that title a lot better. So without any further ado, the reviews. reviews. Go for it. Black Country, New Road. Ants from up there. After a stellar debut record last year, UK post-punk, post-rock, post-music outfit Black Country New Road released their second album, Ants From Up There, and we're left with one huge question. How in the world did they get that big plane inside such a small little bag? It defies physics. (laughs) How did they do that? That's what the power of seven people in a band can do for you. (laughs) This album was pretty highly anticipated from fans after, for the first time, earned the band the love they've been receiving from early singles for years, and even more so, the group has performed a lot of these songs live, not to mention the slew of promotional singles they released from this project up until this point. So they really didn't leave a whole, whole lot um, to the imagination or to a surprise when this whole thing came out. While the album might not have gone exactly in the direction I had hoped for or wanted it to, I still really enjoyed it, and I even prefer it to their first album. After a short instrumental first track, the album opens with Chaos Space Marine, which we praise to high heavens on this show being the first single they released uh, last year, the track even cracking our top 10 of 2021. And from a group like BCNR, it's unexpected and exciting. This track is so in-your-face, it blasts you away with this opening saxophone before quieting down to a hush as Isaac Wood takes center stage in the finale of his own musical. The song plays out very similarly to a musical theater number, or even a Bowie rock opera cut. Its structure is weird, with soaring choruses, violins sprinkled in here and there, and then this augmented, banjo-filled grand finale where everything comes to a head. It's really such a high point in the band's career thus far, and there's nothing quite like it, even on this album alone. 
Black Country New Road's follow-up evolves from folky post-punk to full-blown grand-scale balladry. This album sounds absolutely massive, which makes sense coming from a seven-piece band. This album seamlessly transitions from moments that shatter your heart to moments that make you want to stand up and sing as loud as humanly possible. A project that perfectly finds cathartic breakthroughs while being smothered under the weight of despair. Concord is a great example of this as Isaac Wood's heartbreak bleeds through the climactic clash of saxophone-led chaos. Isaac seemingly finds relief through his performance. Compared to his more reserved performance at the beginning of the track, he acts through his emotions, and by screaming his feelings amidst the mountain-sized instrumentation, he's relieving himself of all things that keep him tethered to the scenario. Moments like this are the backbone of the album, and what make it one of the early favorites for album of the year. The dichotomy of huge warm fireplace-like folky instrumentation, and the sorrow-filled cathartic escalating vocals of Isaac Wood. Like Vincent said, Concord follows Chaos Space Marine with the band taking a complete 180 in song structure and sound. It's so reserved and sad with Isaac delivering what is, in my opinion, one of his most genuine vocal performances so far in his career. Wood sings about becoming so attached to a person with unreciprocated feelings, but being unable to let go of their relationship because of how much time and effort he sunk into the person. The song is in three, like a lonely waltz with oneself, as he sings about sprinting up a hill to get a glimpse of this person as they fly away on a jet, which to him takes up his whole view, but to this person on the plane, everything just looks like ants from up there, hence the album title. The line, do you want me to sing it? (laughs) Then Isaac will (laughs) suffer and Concord will fly. (laughs) Wow, I'm really glad Robert Smith's here. (laughs) That's what he sounds like. (laughs) That line is so heartbreaking and poignant. I lo- Probably my favorite line on the whole album. It reminds me of that one Simpsons episode where they watch the VHS tape to pinpoint the exact moment where Lisa breaks Ralph Wiggum's heart. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. That's a very deep cut reference, but that's exactly what that reminds me of. Isaac Wood throughout this album is on what can only be described as a creative peak. He feels untouchable on a lot of this album. There's a certain mastery to recognize. While for the first time had good vocal performances from Isaac, it was more reserved talk singing. While Ants from Up Here relies more on Isaac projecting, he manages to exceed expectations with his David Bowie glam rock performance on Chaos Space Marine like Trevor mentioned. He has an out-of-body experience shouting on the place where he inserted the blade, which is my favorite of these non-single tracks on this album. Isaac clenches so tight it sounds like his soul leaves his body, desperately trying to fix his broken relationship, audibly exhausting himself in the hopes that he can gain inner peace. Snow Globes is a moment that I've seen get the brunt of the criticism on this record, and on one hand, I kind of understand why, but on another, I've actually found myself really enjoying this track. It might be one of my favorites. It's a nine-minute grower, not a shower, but with these very patient and adamant guitars opening up before adding in bass and violin, just layering on top of each other like the perfect tiramisu. By the time the vocals start, I'm already hypnotized by the instrumental. I guess some could say it's boring and repetitive, but I think enough changes with each chord on each go-around that it catches me in a loop that I can't escape from. Then the drums begin. The drums sound like they were recorded on the other side of the planet with no direction whatsoever of what the final song would sound like. From what I understand, that's kind of what they were going for. By the halfway mark, it feels like the band is giving a concert on top of a tar pit or a volcano ready to erupt. The drums are hectic and skittering, bubbling under the surface to create a song that could fall apart at any second. They're loud and off-putting, but that's kind of the point. This section alone is what has garnered the most criticism from fans. Was it the best artistic choice? That's debatable. But in my eyes, the initial song structure is that good that it withstands the avant-garde weirdness that the band is trying to accomplish. 
I feel like this record goes by fast for a 40 minute runtime, and I love all the tracks on here besides the closer basketball shoes. The track doesn't do enough new to warrant its length, and it feels like it's constantly pumping the brakes with false finishes. While not a bad track by any means, it doesn't hold your attention throughout to warrant its spot. While there's a really nice grand finale breakdown at the end of the track, it isn't built up correctly, and it feels like a separate track entirely. This record was released in the wake of Isaac Wood's departure from the band, which is obviously very sad. I think he retired, or he didn't retire, but he resigned like maybe three days before this came out. Yeah, because uh, he uh, rigged the election. Yeah. (laughs) There's the whole entire Watergate scandal. He said, I'm not a crook. His lyrics and vocal style are some of the most immediately grabbing things about the group, but as I've said in the past, I don't think a group like this was built to last. Too many members have their fingers in too many other projects that I can't imagine a seven-piece band like this could continue to collaborate as closely as they have in the past. That being said, it's not all bad. Fellow musician Ethan P. Flynn has been involved with the band, and I could see him taking over some of Wood's role, as well as bassist Tyler Hyde, who will also begin taking up vocals. In interviews, the band has said that they had been wanting to kind of phase out Wood, taking center stage on most tracks, to let other members do vocals, so the change in style was inevitable whether he stuck around or not. Isaac Wood is great on this thing, but he isn't necessary to this act. I know I just went over how impressed his mastery of performance was to me, but Black Country New Road isn't Isaac. It's a feeling. The reason Isaac is able to escalate the way he does is because the rest of Black Country New Road is able to construct the soundscape that is capable of intergalactic travel. The seven piece sounds so incredible and that's an understatement. Everything is so warm and rich, able to traverse a spectrum of relaxing to severely uncomfortable. The consistency and tone unifies everything, while the diversity of context and presentation makes this feel unique. Like everything is a sibling track to one another, under the same family but different individuals. The drums on this sync sound so close and raw, which makes them stand out compared to the ethereal distance of other parts of the production. The saxophone is always a guiding light on top of the mix, pointing to where you go next. The bass, guitars, and violin blend perfectly into one amalgamated warm fuzz that surrounds the listener, pushing out the boundaries of the soundscape, allowing the sound to feel as large as it does. All in all, it's fair to say Ants From Up There is much less melodramatic and more melancholy than for the first time. It's obvious that the group as a whole has matured, but I don't think that they've fully matured into adults yet, and I don't necessarily expect them to. Each member is in their early to mid-twenties, which is where Vincent and I are as well, but they have a somewhat teenage mindset still, where everything is at its utmost importance, and also nothing matters at all. Some of the lyrics are still questionable, and also we see Isaac at some of his most vulnerable moments. And while these might seem like negative statements, I don't necessarily think they are. One thing BCNR does well is create a snapshot of their experiences, mindsets, and influences as a group and individual members on each album, The stylistic shift between their two projects is massive, and I think that divide is only going to get larger the longer the group survives. Ouch. Animal Collective. Time skips. There are a lot of bands that fans say never sound the same from record to record, but I don't think anyone holds a candle to Animal Collective. I never feel like the group has a gimmick, unlike King Gizzard, and they've been around long enough to stake that claim, unlike Black Country New Road. They also have quote-unquote bad albums that don't really resonate even with core fans, but that's how you know that they've been experimenting. Their latest album, Time Skiffs, sees the whole group back together as one for the first time in ten years, since Centipede Hurts. Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) 
In that time, we've also seen multiple solo projects from some of the members. In truth, those projects have not been all that enjoyable, from Tangerine Reef, their visual album from 2018, to Panda Bear's solo record Buoys in 2019. Having all four members, Panda Bear, Geologist, A.V. Tear, and the prodigal son Deacon back in the studio has served Time Skiffs well, really feeling like a return to form for the group. Time Skiffs is placed in a position in Animal Collective's discography where it's easy to focus on what makes the album special. While it doesn't reach the surprising gelatinous fever-like dream highs of Meriwether Post Pavilion, it lacks a definite shape and helps develop the album into a surprising mush of heavenly reverb vocals. It progresses and doesn't linger on one psychedelic spot for too long and avoids all cliches. That's what made Tangerine Reefs so terrible, a cheesy, underwater aesthetic lingering past the point of tacky. The group feels like a group on this. It doesn't feel like Avi Ter, Deacon, or Panda Bear dominate center stage. This act feels interchangeable in practice as to not distract the audience. Chaotic Harmony is probably the thing that defines Animal Collective, and this provides that without missing a step. One thing is for sure here, Animal Collective knows how to craft a catchy hook. From the glimmering opener Dragon Slayer to the mellow closer Royal and Desire, I could probably hum the majority of these songs if you asked me to, which is pretty important to me. The catchier the song is, the more mental space that song takes up, and Time Skiffs has been renting a lot of space in my mind for the past week or so. One of my favorite tracks on here is Prester John, which is named after a legendary medieval figure of the same name. This song is packed with these amazing bassy grooves and these ancient sounding chords. The harmonies in this song just border on the verge of yacht rock without sounding cheesy. It's an incredibly dense track filled to the brim with amazing musical moments, and it keeps my utmost attention even throughout its nearly seven minute length. I like how Animal Collective really floats through the pace of this album, taking it slower without feeling like you're lost in the middle of a vast mess. It's slow-paced at times, but there's so many anchor points that are able to keep your attention, like the perfectly stacked harmonies throughout in traditional Animal Collective dreamlike fashion. The hooks ring your ears with depth. The vocals alone produce so much space, at times it feels like you're listening to a whole entire choir in front of you, and could just be one member with a ton of reverb on his voice. It's simple technical-wise, but it so perfectly produces an otherworldly feel that you don't care that a lot of the vocals have the same type of texture throughout the album. I really have to praise the band here on their use of uncommon instruments, and even instruments they've never recorded with before. Take a look at some of the playing credits here, and you'll see that A.V. Terror evidently knows how to play every instrument ever created. These songs are littered with things like the banjo, steel guitar, melodica, xylophone, recorder, auto harp, and the hurdy-gurdy, probably my favorite medieval instrument. The thing is, these instruments never sound out of place with more common guitars, synths, and samples. Like the album artwork, this project is a massive collage of all sorts of different sounds and timbres, and also A.V. Terror made the collage as well, so he must have an art degree. <laughs> and while I definitely believe it's possible to go a little too wild with this stuff, too avant-garde if you will, the guys manage to craft coherent tracks despite the potential of it getting cluttered. Animal Collective walks a fine line between making sweet tooth indie pop and electronic tracks and being downright annoying and lost. Time Skiff avoids that trap completely, crossing the tightrope with minimal issues. At times, I think this thing does a better job of depicting an ocean than Tangerine Reef did. 
or buoys even, and manages to have a certain glossy lossness that fits to whatever container it's in. Reflective steel drum-like keys or high-pitched dolphin-sounding synths that always provide a great jagged contrast to its smooth surroundings. Everything just feels like it should be. This is the most natural-sounding Animal Collective has sounded in years. There's a progressive rock-like sense of transcendence that comes from an upkeep of atmosphere. Tracks run on until the environment has been fully depicted. The end of Car Keys is a great example. It isn't needed at all, but the last minute that transitions out of that section finishes the mural depicting the space to be more than just an indie rock or art rock album. In a way, I think Animal Collective has tried to escape their critically acclaimed 2009 album Meriwether Post Pavilion for the last decade or so. Not necessarily that they regret making it, although I can't speak for them necessarily, but the fact that it was so well received puts unnecessary pressure on the group. It happens to all musicians that put out amazing works. Damn isn't as good as T-Pab, Amnesiac isn't as good as Coulda A, we've heard it all before. The problem is that by trying their best to make every album different, Animal Collective can easily get bogged down by past projects. Even Deacon feels bogged down by Animal Collective itself, considering he goes MIA after every other album. We don't live or consume art in a vacuum, but Animal Collective try their best to make you feel like you do. The success of that album is great, but in situations like these, I think it's pointless to try to compare their works to one another. If they really cared about pleasing the masses, they would have tried to make Meriwether Post Pavilion 2 rather than Centipede Hurts. Also, if they really cared about my ears, they would have never released Tangerine Reef. Facts. <laughs> Facts. This man's spitting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will never forgive them for Tangerine Reef. I still think that's a terrible record. I don't care what anyone says. It's awful. I feel like I have a pretty complicated relationship with listening to Chicago rapper Saba. After catching a few tracks from his debut Bucket Lifts project way back in 2016, I enjoyed what I heard, especially tracks like Photosynthesis and Stony. I actually think those were some of the first uh, tracks that I liked when I first got Spotify, like they were in my liked songs. Then Care For Me came out in 2018, one of our earlier reviews on the show, and I didn't really like it all that much. In my opinion, Saba's performances and lyrics were boring, aside from a couple of shining moments. Saba is one of those guys that wears his influences on his sleeve, for better or for worse. But in doing so, it's hard to make a distinction where the influences stop and Saba's style begins. Over the past four years or so, I've seen this album get thrown around in discussions of some of the greatest albums of the decade, or most underrated albums. How did so many people have such a wildly different experience from me? Like, did I miss something? In a way, I think I grew disillusioned with Saba's popularity. He seemed to be nothing more than hip-hop Twitter's darling making real music that actually tells a story. You know the type. J. Cole. J. Cole. Eminem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Few good things find me at a weird point then, at a time when I could not possibly care any less about Saba. Just as an artist, I like don't want anything bad to happen to him. <laughs> After listening to this project a couple of times, I can honestly say that yes, it does miss, but when it hits, Saba really hits. I actually draw a lot of similarities between Few Good Things and Corday's latest record, From a Bird's Eye View. I definitely favor this record, and I think Saba has a lot more to say than Corday does at this point in his career, but both of these records feel at least somewhat lost. They fall victim to their inspirations and their contemporaries, which doesn't allow them to really find their individual voices. But pound for pound, though, Saba has created the better record with more interesting narratives and instrumentals. 
Sabo has always been an artist that has had the talent, but can never find the definite voice. Comparing him to previous collaborators, No Name and Smino, No Name finds consistency and honesty and intimacy. And Smino has really been hitting his stride with undeniable confidence that's been oozing off his latest tracks and features as of late. Saba is missing that sentence to describe him. He feels like he's constantly throwing out ideas and just seeing what sticks. The curation of this project is good because the tracks chosen are good, but I leave missing something. Not to dampen what this album does correctly and what is Saba's best record to date, but I find it hard to connect to him on this album. He showcases a ton of effort, builds introspection, and has a ton of catchy material on this, but I feel like I'm missing an auteur sense of direction to guide this project to feel more connected. This album feels like a bunch of good songs on shuffle. No track is able to subtract from the next, but it doesn't build on top of them either. While I can easily recommend this album as an easy, fun listen, the apparent missing connection between the tracks is obvious, and that is what separates this collection of songs from being a great album. To build on Trevor, I would go on to say that Corday's latest album showcases the complete opposite of this problem. A unified voice and direction, but completely lame and bland performances. I'd rather have good tracks than boring tracks, so he's doing something right. He just needs to construct something that overarches a complete project in the future. The very first thing I'll say about Few Good Things is that musically, this is Saba's most stylistically diverse project. One Way has this bouncy, easygoing 90s bass line that's infectious, with Saba making good use of his singing voice. The hook pops up over and over when you least expect it, the whole song flowing non-stop and freely like water. A lot of these tracks take from that more mellow R&B sound this time around. Fearmonger with Dowd takes a similar approach, employing this cruising, sunny day, windows down type of beat with Saba spitting with percussive articulation and some attention-grabbing vocal inflections. There's a very outcast feel to this track, right down to the falsetto bridge and he and Dowd's harmonies on the hook. I especially love the growling synth melody that takes over at the end, with Dowd playing with a talk box on the outro, tying the whole track together in a neat little bow. Come My Way is a masterclass in meeting your heroes. In a very Bone Thugs-esque track, Saba and none other than Crazy Bone team up for an entirely sung track. I'm sure this was a really cool moment for Saba, considering Bone Thugs were the reason he started writing raps in the first place. So to hear Saba drawing from their style and making a track with one of his heroes is awesome. Saba sounds right at home over the sliding, guitar-driven beat, and it drives home everything I love about Bone Thugs and Harmony, but even shows that Saba has some range, even though he might be reluctant to show it sometimes. The track 2012 is a shining point in the track list as well, and I'd compare it pretty favorably to Prom King from Care For Me, probably my favorite track on that project because of Saba's storytelling. He really has this ability to paint such a vivid picture of a situation, but unfortunately, he doesn't always use that to its fullest potential. In 2012, though, Saba raps about a young love he experienced, and then the simple pleasures of his rough childhood. On the hook, he sings, I had everything I needed, despite looking back on his childhood through a negative lens on Care For Me. Even though his life is exponentially better now that he's made it out of poverty, he still longs for the simplicity of being a kid. Everything is masterfully written down to the beat itself, which is this daydreamy, floaty kind of beat that Frank Ocean probably would have eaten up years ago, say 2012. The title closing track, Few Good Things, is the emotional peak of the album. Featuring a killer legend spot feature from Black Thought, this sounds like a Lost Roots cut. So much that I had to check if Questlove had anything to do with the drums on this track because 
they carried that hip-hop fundamental mastery he's known for. Shout out to Saba, Dada Pivot, and Brandon Farmer for programming the drums and making Black Fought feel at home. There's beautiful hum background vocals from Aaron Allen Kane that provide the same harmonic comfort you would get from Kid Cudi's. And Saba on this, I can only describe as poetically chewing scenery. Not that he's overreacting, but he's overusing form, which makes him feel so natural over top the instrumental. Especially in the second half, his more forced slam poetry over top flowing guitars, trying to be a weight amidst the abyss, holding up the track from fading into oblivion. Once his verse ends, we get a small, sampled conversation, and the track just can't keep going. It vanishes into oblivion. Not all about this project is good, though. As I stated from the beginning of this review, Saba relies very heavily on his influences. I think he still falls into that trap here. Kendrick is obviously his biggest influence, and it's evident in just about every track. From the opener free samples, where his voice grows louder and more forceful throughout his verse, to his entire flow on Survivor's Guilt, to the weird harmonies heard in Soldier, he even name-drops the guy in 2012. And I'm not saying that Kendrick was the first to do these things, nor is he a bad influence by any means, but a lot of the beats here would feel right at home on T-Pab. I'm not by any means saying that it's bad to have inspirations either, but couple this with the fact that every track except two has some feature on them, it's hard to really identify what Saba himself actually sounds like. What is his style? Who is he as a person outside of these features and his influences? Aside from those points, there are some tracks on here that I just genuinely don't like. If I Had a Dollar with Benjamin Earl Turner has to be one of the most headache-inducing songs I've heard in a while. So despite what I said earlier, what are the traits of Saba across this album? He's either braggadociously high like Survivor's Guilt or swimming in emotional muddy waters like Make Believe or 2012. He's able to recognize the problems he's facing and come to reasonable conclusions. Again, Saba is able to introspect on this and dig a bit deep into his psyche, which comes out to some good vocal performances from him. I really like his singing across his entire project, and I think it makes a lot more of these songs stand out in the track list. That's kind of where the outlier features stop. Again, not to take away from the talent Saba possesses, it's kind of hard to separate him from a pack. He can deliver a terrific verse or vocal performance, but he's missing that one key descriptor or factor that makes him Saba. I kind of compare this to some of the feelings I have about Mick Jenkins. I feel like his work has a similar lacking quality to it despite the talent and effort presented. And this isn't a trait I can tell Saba what it is, it's something that you have to find for yourself. It's what every artist has to do, I'm probably guilty of missing this trait as well. It's just something that you have, you discover through creation and self-reflection. It has to come naturally. It can't be forced. I have more faith now than ever that Saba is really close to hitting a creative stride. So with all the bitching and moaning out of the way, I like this album. I think it's really good, but it's not great. A tremendously easy hip-hop listen with a ton of great performances throughout. Do you know what time it is? Release the Kraken! If you want to find the Anthony and Todd show on social media, you can find us at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Anthony and Todd. You can find us at youtube.com forward slash the Anthony and Todd show. You can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play Podcasts by searching the Anthony and Todd show in your favorite podcast browser. You can also find us on patreon.com, patreon.com forward slash the Anthony and Todd show. I'm on Twitter at the Vincent Short. Trevor is on Twitter at Alistair McCallus. And until next time, boyos, see ya. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. 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 Thank you. Goodbye.